0: at a coffee shop or home or something like that. Glad you've uh, tuned in for us. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I was encouraged by somebody, showed me a picture uh, from their community group. And uh, I just love hearing stories from community groups. It reminds me of Acts, and Paul would be traveling, and it says that he would get to a new town, and he would tell the stories of what God was doing in the last town uh, that he was in. And that's what he was doing. He was just sharing stories of how God was at work. And so to see glimpses into your community groups, uh, which are kind of the hub of what Florence Christian Church is about. If you're not in a community group, uh, you're missing out, I got to tell you. And uh, and they show me this picture of, of creating what I think they're calling blessing bags. I've heard of as blessing bags. And what they are is they're uh, usually like a large Ziploc bag that has a number of things in it uh, that they can give to uh, homeless or people that are uh, asking for maybe change on street corner that is a little bit more useful possibly and and uh, it's got like proteins in it, peanut butters and uh, socks and then like crackers and uh, water purification uh, those kinds of things in it that can just be a blessing to somebody looking for those opportunities. We uh, made some a number of years ago with our teens and uh, our teens called this uh, homeless homie bags. And uh, like, hey, these are our friends. We want to be ready. And, and our teens carried them in their cars and under their seats so that when they were interacting with somebody, they could grab one. And uh, one of the things that we've heard a lot of feedback is having small Ziploc bags that have cat food uh, or dog food in them because uh, so many people have a, a friend that they have, a traveling companion, and to care for their, their pets means that we're caring for them. And uh, just the simple things that people can do I love a group getting together and 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 praying and exploring together God what is God calling us to to do collectively, that we can encourage one another in and and accomplish uh, in this way. And uh, and we've heard numerous stories, including Florence Coffee Cup. If you haven't been able to come out to that Friday, Saturday nights, come and invite a friend. uh, Grab uh, a decaf, if you'd like, uh, or or a scone, something like that, and sit around, play games, and just share. Um, That's all out of the heart of a community group. Getting together and saying, how can we make a difference? How can we come together and pool our experiences and our talents and our resources in order to be a blessing uh, to others? And that's everything that we're going to be talking about today. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Luke chapter 17, we're continuing uh, with this thought of getting a glimpse into the heart of Jesus and what he was about. And as we look at each of these sections, just trying to figure out uh, what drove him, what broke his heart, what moved him to action. Okay, and so here in chapter 17, uh, we have a a bit of a transition from where we have been in, and and boy, it's been a doozy for the last few weeks, Uh, but uh, these next chapters are actually a number of different teachings of Jesus kind of put into succession, into one section. And unlike the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, or the Sermon on the Plain, which we looked at in Luke uh, chapter 6, this is likely a collection of teachings from different times and places, not just one setting like the Sermon on the Mount was where he sat in one place and and he taught on a number of different topics. This is probably a conglomeration of teachings from different times and different spaces, different experiences that Luke places together here in Luke 17. It starts off like this. It says, "Uh, and he said to his disciples... Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. And uh, and and I love this passage. You know what? I forgot my book. Trudy, would you go grab the book Luke off of my desk? That would be awesome. Thank you, my lovely wife. Is, I, I'm getting here, and I'm like, I totally forgot my book. It's got an awesome quote in it, and I want to I wanna read it. But uh, uh, here Jesus is saying temptations, they're sure to come. You shouldn't be surprised uh, when these temptations come your way. In fact, you should count on it. Jesus knew this firsthand. We shouldn't forget that Jesus himself was tempted. He understood. He knew what it was like to face this kind of temptation. Uh, We read in a number of the Gospels his account, and in in Luke chapter 4 it says, And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed him uh, until an opportune time. And I just think that's so important because sometimes we'll go, yeah, well, Jesus was tempted in the desert. No, Jesus had a lifetime of temptation. And this wasn't just a one-time account. Thank you so much. And, uh, and, and this points it out. That, that Satan left him for another opportune time. Now, here in Luke, Jesus has been fasting for 40 days, and so he's exhausted. He's tired. He's physically worn down. That's the perfect opportunity for Satan to come in and nitpick at him and try to get Jesus to do something that is against the will of his father. And yet he was able to stand on the word of God. He was able to point Satan back to what scripture actually says and what it actually means and make his decisions based on that. But if you think that Satan didn't come over and over and over again at Jesus, right in those rough times, right when he's uh, getting and he's talking to his disciples and they don't get it yet again, Satan's like, now's the time. Jesus is frustrated. You know, and he would come in and he would attempt to tempt Jesus, never being successful. But I think there's something to this for us. Like temptations are sure to come. Know yourself. Know what wears you down. Know what frustrates you because it's going to be in those moments that is an opportune time for the evil one to come in and to whisper doubts in your ear and to whisper questions and and to, to whisper temptations for you to follow after him. When we have the word of God to stand on, then we're less likely to do that. You see, Jesus understood This, when he's sharing. He's not just sharing from on high. It's not God telling man what to do. It's a man saying to his friends, I know what it's like. You're going to be tempted to sin. And so hold off. It says, but he continues in that part, it's not just about the sin. It says, woe to the one through whom they come, those temptations. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. While temptation is sure to come, come, leading others to sin is a whole nother category. It says you don't want to get caught up in that. Have you ever played the game, Would You Rather?, so it's a board game now, I think. Have you ever done this with a group of friends? It's it's one that finds its way into youth group and camp frequently. And really it's just thinking through questions. You know, would you rather be a genius and know everything? Or would you be um, rather be amazing at everything you try? All right, that's a fair one. You know, you gotta play that out in your mind. Which one would I rather have? Would you rather be poor and work a job that you love, or rich and work a job that you hate? All right. Hmm, there's days that I could get on board with with either of those, I feel like, right? Would you rather be forced to listen to the same 10 songs on repeat for the rest of your life or watch the same five movies on repeat for the rest of your life? Man, I could watch Die Hard forever, I feel like. Like one through five, one through five. Well, Lord of the. Yeah, that's too hard. Too hard to... to To wrap your head around, would you rather be responsible for tempting others or go for a swim with a millstone tied around your neck? Yeah, you know what? It's a pretty simple question, isn't it? Like I know what I'd rather do, and I think God looks at it too and says, that's a simple question. I know the answer to it. And my guess is sometimes our priorities and his priorities don't quite line up. And he's saying, it's better for you to go for a swim with one of these wrapped around your neck or a necklace tied. It's got a hole right in the middle so you could tie a rope around it, then a noose. It'd be better for you to do that. I'm reading this book. Uh, It's Christ-centered exposition, exalting Jesus in the book of Luke and written by a pastor named Tabidi Anyawile. And uh, he said this Let that word picture play out in your mind. An ancient millstone weighing quite a bit. Though women used millstones in Israel, it sometimes took several men to move it from one place to another. These large stones in circles usually had a hollow center, like a huge stone donut. The Lord asked us to imagine a rope tied around the millstone through the center and tied on the other end around the tempter's neck. I imagine the tempter and the millstone are somewhat in a seagoing vessel. And when the stone is thrown overboard, first the rope would snap taut as the weight of the stone sent it diving toward the bottom of the sea. Then would come the violent snap of a rope at the tempter's neck as it pulls him overboard into the ocean. The tempter splashes into the water, not upright as if to dog paddle horizontally uh, or to swim, but head first with feet thrashing overhead." You're wrestling with the top rope, wanting to scream, except there's water all around you. You feel the salt water rushing into your eyes and your nose, finally unable to hold your breath any longer. Your mouth flies open and water floods into your mouth and eventually your lungs. While conscious, you fight in terror upside down in the sea, struggling against the invincible weight and desperate for life's necessary air. It'd be better to suffer that way Than to suffer the woe of God against sin and the tempter. Whoo! You know, sometimes it's better just to read one verse of the Bible in a day, you know, and just spend some time like, what is he talking about? What kind of a picture is he painting? What is Jesus really getting to? You know, often we'll read three or four chapters and, you know, we just check it off. Man, you could just read that verse. And he has a a mind that's different than some of ours to, to play this out, and what would that look like? Woe to you who cause others to sin if you are the one to bring temptation on a brother. But he continues forward. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And he knows forgiveness is difficult, especially when it's somebody close to you. In fact, the closer they are, the harder it is to forgive because the offense cuts that much deeper. You know, a stranger or a colleague you know, it's not that big of a deal to forgive an offense, but a close friend, a family member, and we hold on to those things. And Jesus is saying, and this is specifically about uh, Christian brothers and sisters, the way that we interact with one another. If they, if they uh, sin against you and they ask for forgiveness, forgive them and then forgive them and then forgive them. And when you can't forgive them anymore, forgive them some more. That's what I want you to be about, because that's what you've received for me. Verse 5, and the apostles said to the Lord, maybe in relationship to that statement of forgiving over and over again, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, and you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted, and it would obey you. His verse seems to be addressing more of the fact that it isn't about gaining more faith and more faith as though there was a small amount and a growing amount and a large amount, but rather that there is faith and then there is not faith. Do you believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that God is who his word says that he is? Is he going to do the things that he said he would do? Because if you have that, you have what you need. And even the mulberry bush would throw itself into the sea if that's what you commanded it to do. See, what you believe about God doesn't change who he is or what he can do, but it changes who we are and what we are able to do through him. It's not about changing him. God doesn't change. You can believe, uh, you can not believe in gravity. You know what? And you can tell gravity all day long you don't believe in it, but if you take step off the corner of a building, guess what? Gravity believes in you. It's the same thing with God. You don't change who he is in your faith, but your faith in him changes who you are. Will any one of you who has a servant, plowing or keeping sheep, say to him when he has come into the field, come at once and recline that table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. This is about not bragging in your obedience. I love Chris Rock and listening to him, especially some of his old comedy, and there's one sketch that he does, he's talking about going into his old neighborhood and talking to people that he grew up with, and many of them, he said, would come to him and say, Chris, Chris, you'd be so proud of me, I have never been to jail. And Chris is like, good, you ain't supposed to go to jail. <laughs> like, what are you, What? yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. And, and, and Jesus is saying, don't brag about these things. It's, it's not about, these, uh, about bragging, about doing better than others. It's about your obedience. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God so that it's not a result of your works so that nobody can boast. Don't boast in your obedience in the things that you followed God in. That's what he is asking of you. Then we get to the meat of this section, I think, and it's an account. So we jump away from some of the teachings and this thing that happens. It says, on the way, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered the village, uh, he was met by 10 lepers. Who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God in a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. See, leprosy, when it's referred to in scriptures, is, is not as specific as what we know as leprosy now, which is like Hansen's disease. It's got another technical name. Uh, it was more of a broad statement of, of contagious skin diseases. And, and there were certain requirements of them. According to the law, in Leviticus, we see this, chapter 13. When a man is afflicted with a leprous disease, he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall look. If there's white swelling in the skin that has turned the hair white and there is raw flesh in the swelling, it is a chronic leprous disease in the skin of his body. And the priest shall pronounce him unclean and he shall not shut him up for he is unclean, and so we have some uh, of the direction of this. And there was other things that were added to the expectations for lepers and not being shut up. They were usually out and out on the outskirts of town. They had to be there. They had to stay at a distance uh, from other people that were walking by because often these skin diseases, even by touching the fabric uh, of their clothing, could be contagious and could be caught. They had to, to announce their presence, even ringing a bell or speaking loudly before they would approach as to not sneak up on anyone. Also, according to Mosaic law, if somebody thought that they were healed of their skin disease, which was pretty unlikely and uncommon, uh, they were to have this confirmed by a priest. And we see all of this playing out in this here account of, in Luke chapter 17, And the law, according to that, is continued in Leviticus 13. It says, If the raw flesh recovers and turns white again, then he shall come to the priest, and the priest shall examine him. And if the disease has turned white, then the priest shall pronounce that the diseased person is clean, and he is clean. See, there's a number of details in this account that jump out to me. The first one is about as they went. You see, the healing took place in these 10 lepers as they went, as they acted on obedience to what Jesus had asked of them to do. I love that phrase, their actions uh, uh, to Jesus' command in response to that, knowing that this was fulfilling the law and what was expected of Jesus through the law. And as they went, then their skin disease was healed of them. Again, the one praising God, returning. When he had seen that he was, in fact, clean, he returns praising the Lord. And this praising of God brought on forgiveness of his sins. From the one who is the least likely to respond, an outsider, a Samaritan, Says that they were going in between Samaria and Galilee, and these guys were on the outskirts of town, and so it was a grouping, these Samaritans and this Jewish people, the Israelites, who would not normally be together. But in being ostracized, they found community in one another as fellow lepers, even though they were from different places and spaces, different experiences. And the nine who should have gotten it went about their day, and the one who would have been seen as an outsider returns praising God. And through that recognizing who God is, And through recognizing that God could do the things that he said he would do, he is forgiven of his sins. See, Jesus wanted to point everybody to the Father. He wanted all of them to be healed. He wanted all of them to have their sins forgiven. You see, we see a glimpse into Jesus' heart by him being a blessing without the expectation of anything in return. You see, it's not like the other nine who didn't praise God and went about their day. I think it would be noted here if as as they walked some more, their leprosy came back. No, Jesus wanted to just be a blessing to people. He wanted to love people in their circumstances no matter how they may have responded to him. See, many people are obedient out of fear or out of duty as though they have to earn this grace that has been given to them, which is an impossibility because grace is undeserved favor. And therefore, grace that is earned ceases to be grace at all. But it's in obedience to, uh, to Jesus that this forgiveness comes. Hosea six six says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. We see this also in Old Testament with Saul as he followed the word of the Lord in defeating the Amalekites, and God gave him instructions on how to do that and what to do afterwards, and Saul goes into this fight, and he has the victory as God said that he would, and then Saul decides to do his own thing. And when he was told to destroy everything, he actually collects these animals, and he's going to sacrifice them. And Samuel comes to him, and it says this in, in Samuel, 1 Samuel Chapter 15. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is the sin of divination and presumption as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. You see, Jesus is looking for our obedience more so than the things that we would sacrifice for him because often these sacrifices can be more about us than they ever were about him. Now, as we go this morning, I want us to hold on to a number of thoughts. And the first is this, that as they went, see, the disciples were just going. It says, as they were going between Galilee and and Samaria, As they were about obeying God and his word, as they were about God's business, they had this opportunities. and the 10 lepers came to them. And then as the lepers went in obedience, they were healed. As they went, as they were going, as they were obeying the word of the Lord, this healing came upon them. I recognize, and it can't be lost, how their faith... Uh, what was, was more easily obeyed in a group? They had each other. I, I'm kind of surprised actually to read this account. I, you would think that you would read it and say, and so seven stood up and obeyed Jesus, right? Like three or four of them are like, hey, I don't know. I mean, I've had leprosy a long time. Who is this guy? Right? But all ten went in a group. Do you have people? Do you have people that you can risk together? They had found community in one another, even though they had different backgrounds, but they found community and then faith in one another to be able to at least go the next step, and that's not lost. I think as we read this, we should take note of it, this confidence in having a people that are your people. And then the heart of Jesus was to bless many. Jesus was always about blessing many. That was his desire. That was his heart. And this has been so from the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 12. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and in him who dishonors you I will curse and again uh, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's something that the Israelites just couldn't get, that they were God's chosen people and they were blessed in order to be a blessing to all those that were around them and I hope that's not something that we miss. We have been blessed not just for us, but so that we can be a blessing to others. Without strings attached, Jesus was just blessing those 10 lepers. They didn't have to return to him. He found joy in blessing others. It wasn't contingent on their praising God, although the one who did, who recognized God at work, was forgiven and would spend eternity with God. See, they were healed as they walked towards the priest's And then they weren't reinfected. It was just a blessing upon them. Now, as we give blessings to others, that may mean that many don't return, that many don't say thank you, that many don't recognize it. And that's got to get frustrating. It does. It makes me think of the verses. It says, uh, do not grow weary in doing good because it's wearisome. It's difficult to love on that coworker over and over, and have them treat you still the way that they do. It's wearisome to continue to invest in that neighbor whose dog barks all night, who parks in front of your house all the time. It's wearisome but continue to be a blessing. You've been blessed in order to be a blessing to others. Then the one who returned, I recognize this. He came praising God, and I feel like the only way you do that is upright, hands to heaven, praising him. He is my savior. He has saved me from this skin disease that took me away from my family. How excited must he have been? And maybe that's where the other nine went immediately running back to their, their wives and their husbands, their children. I don't know, did it say 10 men? Whatever. <laughs> they were returning to their family, but he took the time to come and praise God with hands upright, recognizing God as his Savior, and then he bowed at Jesus' feet and went low, recognizing him as Lord, that's what I see in these verses. That doesn't say that exactly, you know, so, so it's just me. Again, you get just glimpses of what Aaron sees. You know, he is my Savior, but I bow before him because he is my Lord. See, he had saved the other nine of their disease, but they didn't want to make him Lord of their everyday life while they continued to walk the earth. The heart of Jesus was not only to bless many, but was to forgive and buy them back into an eternal relationship. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now that may turn a whole bunch of us into, we may have a, a lot of unthankful people again as we're blessing to others, but did you catch the end there? You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. You will be blessed so that you can continue to be a blessing to others. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That there will be some that return. Jesus only had one in nine. If you got one in 20, you're doing pretty good. As you continue to invest in people, then the result will be thanksgiving and praise to God. The result for some is their recognition of just God at work in their life. In Jesus' account, this led to their eternal inclusion into the kingdom for the one. And so I want to close uh, with these words uh, from, from verse 19. And uh, it says that, uh, he says again, And when he said to him, Jesus talking to the one who returned, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. See, now this forgiven, blessed ex-leper was going to go on his way. Jesus and his disciples had been on their way. The lepers went as they were going on their way, were healed, and now this one is being sent out to go on his way. God being with him, God being sent out with him, you have been blessed, and as you leave here, as you go on your way, I want you to be looking for those opportunities. As you're prayer walking, as you're taking uh, time in your own neighborhood and then stretching outside of your neighborhood, and you're praying these things, God, unite my heart with Your heart. God, open my eyes to see the world that You, see, the way that You see the world, and guide my hands and my feet in order to be a blessing. To others because you've been blessed. If you can't remember that, there's little cards out at our our prayer table. Grab one of those so that as you walk, as you're going, as you head back to work, as you head out to lunch after this, you've been blessed. Be a blessing. Please don't be a cheap tipper right after church. Okay? <laughs> don't do that. Be generous. Be generous with people as you return to your family, as you go about your weekend, as you return to work. Bless others because you have been blessed. The band's going to come up. We're going to close our time of worship together with more singing that we would have thanksgiving uh, to God. And as we do, the core of what we're thankful for is how much he loved us when we didn't deserve it, how much we could not make our way back to him, how much we could not take away our own leprosy, the thing that separated us from God, but he loved us enough that he took care of it on the cross. This communion is representative of that, his body that was broken, his blood that was spilled for you. And as we sing and as we worship together, I want you to take the elements in in worship of him. Let's pray. God, you are so good, and we thank you for loving us. God, I thank you that, uh, that we didn't deserve it, that we didn't earn it, and you gave it to us freely. Go with us this week into our spaces that we can see ways that we can bless others, not out of our own reserves, but in the reserves that you've given to us. In Jesus' name we pray these things, amen.